Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we have got a return guest that I think so much of, and that is Dan Hanford. And I'm just telling you right now, what he shares in this podcast is really insightful, it's really inspiring. And I'm telling you, if you really follow Dan, you will find that he is one of the best educators out there. I mean, he is really out there doing real estate really well. If you have a chance to listen to him talk, I think he communicates in a very openly and effective way, and it's a wonderful, wonderful interview. Before we get into that though, real quick, the Kahuna Boardroom is now open. So if you are looking to start this real estate journey of the multifamily side, and you really want to learn how to raise private money cheaply, how to do it to where you get more GP, how to find massive deal flow, and how to ultimately become a better operator, the Kahuna Boardroom is for you. It's a three-day intensive that we do that is by far the best value for your dollar that I know of in as far as multifamily training. So if that is you, we only have 60 seats, I highly, highly recommend that you go to the boardroom, kahunaboardroom.com. Don't wait another minute. Just go and go to the website and click on the link. You'll be glad that you did. With that said, thanks so much. I really just, I'm thinking about Dan and what he has to bring to the table. And I just love this interview. I loved our conversations. And so let's just not waste any more time. Let's get into it. Dan, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. Glad to be back. Yeah, I love having you on this podcast. I love what you do, by the way. I just think I've taken a lot of good things from you that you do as an operator that I think is phenomenal. I think last time we talked, we may have talked about the newsletter because that thing, that your newsletter that you do is phenomenal and it led me to creating something much like it. And I will tell you that tool right there is beautiful, dude. But you just spoke at an event that I was part of as well and you had a great speech on kind of a topic that I think my people would love to hear. But if you can just go back and just tell everybody your kind of your short story of who you are and why they should be paying attention because Dan's kind of a badass just so everybody knows like that in my opinion he's a guy that's doing it right he's doing it well and he's doing it really really good and so Dan welcome to the show brother thanks Corey just to kind of give you to give the listeners a little bit of a background story about myself I'm a chiropractor by trade and started to find out when I was seeing patients when I first got started that I was kind of stuck in a job kind of a nine to five job because I was the only one seeing patients and I can only see so many patients in hour. So I was capping my income and it was kind of worse than a job because if I left, nobody gave me a paid vacation, right? So I had to figure out ways to still pay my staff and pay my overhead while I go on vacation. So for several years, I just decided not to go on vacation at all because I just didn't want to lose the money. And especially with this new clinic that I had just started. And so being able to grow those clinics to the point from being able to hire on some additional people, I hired on an associate chiropractor to work for us, kind of take off some of that load and really kind of fell in love with the CEO type position. And and started to grow our clinics. We actually grew from one clinic to four clinics. Now today, we still have those four clinics. We actually don't do very much chiropractic services in them at all, if anything, because one of the things we started to do after a few years is we started to integrate into medicine. And when we integrated into medicine, we really fell in love with regenerative medicine type aspect of those treatments. So we do a lot of injection-based therapies, a lot of prolotherapy, PRP, stem cell procedures for orthopedic conditions and things like that. So we kind of migrated away from the chiropractic 
chiropractic model and to do more of a kind of non-surgical orthopedics and sports medicine model. And so we have those four clinics. They're cash flowing very well because they're 100% debt free, which is great, but that also causes a tax problem because when you make a bunch of money, you got to figure out how much money you got to pay to Uncle Sam. And so not just once a year, but when you own your own business, you have these quarterly estimated payments you have to do. So every quarter, we're writing these large six-figure checks to the government. We're just getting frustrated with that. And so trying to figure out how much wealthier people than us make more money than us, but they don't pay any money to the government and depreciation from real estate was that ticket. And so my wife and I started down this path of investigating what can we do to try to invest inside of the real estate aspect of things. And so I probably did that for about 18 months and really just kind of low-key reading books, listening to podcasts doing research online and going to some of the forums. I never went to any events or anything like that, mostly because I was so busy putting out fires in the clinics. And then one day I decided to step away from the clinics full-time to focus on the real estate, promoted my COO at the time to the CEO, still the CEO of those clinics today and does a great job managing those clinics for us so that I don't have to spend much time doing that. I maybe spend maybe one to two hours a month in corporate meetings and things like that, but he pretty much runs the day-to-day operations of that. And I get to focus on the real estate side of things. And so one of the first things we did was invested passively with a couple other groups first, kind of get our LP wings wet, if you will. And then started to hire on a mentor that I knew was where I w- could see myself being in a few years. And so I wanted to hire somebody that I knew was doing that work and it was in the trenches and not somebody that used to do it 10 years ago and can kind of tell me how to do it, but not really. There's the big difference, by the way, right? Huge difference. People that are doing it, doing it now and doing it well, that's a way better person to copy from than someone that used to do it and now just sells the course. Especially when you also look at not just somebody who used to do it, but when you look at somebody who maybe didn't do it very well, but then now they're teaching it. And it's like, do I really want to learn from a person who failed in the past and now is trying to teach me how to do it? Now, I'm not saying that that person can't learn from some some of their mistakes and teach you those mistakes. That's definitely true. But I want to make sure that I'm working with somebody as a mentor that's actually in the trenches right now, which I think is uber, uber important, especially given the current market environment that we're in right now. Yes. But- then started to, with a mentor, started to be a co-GP and do some JV partnerships with that group and then one other group. And then in the fall of 2018, we ended up raising money for our very first project, which I would say is definitely the second most difficult raise we've ever done is that very first one because we figured we can easily raise $5 million and you get into it and you're like, holy cow, this is actually a lot more work than people think it, people say it, make it out to be. They think, oh, you just send out an email and you raise a bunch of money and eventually you can get to that level, but it does take work to get to that level of being yeah. able to just cultivate your list to the point where they respond whenever you send a message. And so just to kind of finish out the story here, in 2018, we raised right at about $4 million from our investors. And then in 2019, we did 32 million. In 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, we ended up doing 61 million. Last year, we raised 196 million. And this year, we will close out the year at right at about 290 million of private equity we've raised just from our investors. And that's not institutional at all. So we have not accepted any institutional money. Average check size is $126,000. There you go. So when we were talking at this conference, that's the one thing that stood out that I think I have the same similarity. I've not raised that much money yet, but I've definitely done it in a way that it's all mom and pop investors. Like our average, I think is probably 130 or something like that. It's not much different, but Dan has created a way and a process that he has just killed it and crushed it in it and what he does in raising capital. And a lot of it has to stem with what I hope you're going to talk about is your little triangles. So yeah. 
I would love for you to share that. So congratulations, brother, because that's just impressive. It really is. Well, I appreciate that. And when you see all these people on the, I call them gurus for whatever reason, but oh, I closed this, I closed that, I closed this. They're all doing it with private equity where they're getting such a small piece of the deal. Mm-hmm. I want to say the devil. I'm not going to say the devil, but I'm just going to say <laughs> someone that has their best interest in mind and not the GP's best interest in mind. Yeah. And so that's very complicated, even though that's successful in its own right. I get like, if that's where you got to start, I get it. Yeah. But man, to do it the way you've done it, totally different. No, I think definitely going down the institutional route is definitely not the best route to go. I think, and it's even hard, even from the very beginning, to even try a lot to do of people private get stuck equity. There. Yeah, they get stuck there. It's just one of those challenging pieces that they want take back clauses and they want reporting every month and they want a lot of different kind of tentacles that are attached to the actual offering. And so for us, it's been nice. And I will say that I get it. Like I understand why if I put 5 million in one deal, I'd want to put, have some tentacles in there too. They have the operator starting to not perform it well. I want to go in there and take it over. Right. So I don't blame private equity. I mean, kudos to them for having the money to be able to swing it around like they do. I think that's definitely nice to have that as a backup plan. Or I agree. I'm not, hey, on it, but there's lots of different ponds to fish in. Yes. And once you understand the bait that attracts the right fish that can keep biting, it's like, well, I don't need to go to play with Jaws, right? I can just go to that nice small mouse bass and get that guy out every time. Yes, exactly. And I think from a recession resiliency standpoint, I think having a thousand small mouth bass is better than having one big, huge fish or whatever, right? Because- Yep, I agree. That's one of the things we saw in the beginning of COVID is we got a deal under contract. That would be my hardest raise to date was that one is getting the deal under contract in the beginning of March of 2020. And then like two weeks later, the bottom falls out of the market and you're kind of in this like, oh crap mode of trying to like get all this money raised and it was actually a 51-day due diligence. I mean, not due diligence. It was a 21-day due diligence with a 30 days to close. So not only was it the most challenging time period to raise money, but we had the smallest amount of time we've ever had, 51 days to be able to raise that money. And thankfully, we were able to raise that money. And that property right now is doing really, really well. And we haven't sold it yet. Obviously, we don't want to sell it right now in the current environment. We'd rather wait until probably 2024 or 25 before we even consider something like that on that deal. But it's definitely been very, very interesting to kind of see how things have been going on right now. But to kind of go back to the triangle that you had mentioned at that I spoke on at the event that we were both speaking at, it's called the investor triad. So this is a triangle. So for those of you who are listening, if you're in a position to be able to kind of do this and follow along, I would encourage you to do it. Obviously, if you're driving, just do it later. Don't do it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Take mental notes. Mental note. Yeah. Take a mental note of this. But if you could do this exercise with me, I think it'll be very helpful for you and enlightening. But what you want to do on on your piece of paper is you want to draw a triangle on your piece of paper. And on the triangle, on the very top of it, I want you to write the word no. On the bottom left-hand corner, write the word like. And on the bottom right-hand corner, write the word trust. So no like and trust at each one of the points in the triangle. And in the middle of the triangle, just to remind yourself, put in the words investor triad. So that investor triad in the middle of the triangle. And first, before we kind of go any further, and I know Corey already knows the answer to this, but I'm going to have you kind of share what the responses was like in the room whenever I asked this in the room. So I think that's probably more impactful, but ask the question of these three things, no like and trust, which one do you think is the most important? Is it no? Is it like, or is it trust? So what would you say, Corey, was kind of the consensus in the room of of people? It was trust. I mean, probably 80%, 85% said trust and like was a big one too. It was the bottom two. It was like and trust with majority of it saying, they got to trust you. They got to trust you. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And that's usually how it happens. When I go into a room, 
people have never heard me speak on this before, the first thing they think of is, is trust. The majority of the room will say trust. There'll be a few that'll say like, and then there'll be a few people that might raise their hand and say no. I don't think anybody raised their hand for no at the event for this one. It was really just all like Zero. and trust. It was just all like and trust. Now, I did have a disclaimer there that said, if you've heard me do this before, don't raise your hand. <laughs> so there, there was definitely some people in the room that had probably heard it, but I would still say like a good majority of the room, I'd probably say 70 or 80% didn't even know who I was or had heard this before. But of those three things, no like and trust, a lot of times we think that trust is the most important. And I will say that it is important, right? So that with this particular investor tried and this kind of mindset that you have to shift yourself into, trust is not the most important thing. Really, the most important thing is no. And the reason why no is the most important is because if you don't put things into place for people to actually get to know who you are, then they never get an opportunity to really make an opinion as to whether or not they like or trust you. So you can work on trying to get yourself more credible stance, get people to like you or trust you. But if you don't have anybody to like or trust you, then it's very hard to start that process. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. If you want to learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. It's a moot point. So like knowing that you've got integrity and that I do it right and whatever, that's great. But if no one else knows that, if you can't even open up the door to get to that point, that's marketing. It's a function of marketing. It was really interesting how many lights clicked on when you really brought that point. So I was like, wait a second, no. That comes down to like, what are your funnels? What are you doing? And I'll let you expand more. So it was really good. Yeah. And so really this no is an important aspect of, of anybody's efforts when they're trying to raise capital for a project. And so obviously now once they get to know you, one of two things typically happens. Number one, there's going to be a select number of people. Hopefully it's a small number. It's usually a small subset of people. They're going to say, you know what? I don't like this guy, Dan. I don't like this guy, Corey. I just don't jive well with him. I'm out. And that's fine. Like The biggest thing I would say is, is that when it comes to being effective with raising capital, you have to be yourself. You have to be true to yourself. You have to be authentic. You have to be transparent. And people can tell when you're putting on a show. So don't try to put on a show with people. Try to be yourself. Because again, if you are yourself, there are going to be people that won't like you, right? Corey and I could both sit here for probably a couple of hours talking about the people, even in this space that we would probably never invest with and never really want to be in the same room with them ever again if we had the opportunity, right? But again, that's not the purpose of this is to bash anybody and we would never do that. But you can think of people right now that you've met usually within a matter of five, 10 seconds, you kind of go, I like what this person has to say, or you know what? I really don't want to be associated with this person, right? I mean, so there's definitely balance there, but you don't want to focus on the people that say, you know what? I don't like Dan. I don't like Corey or whoever you are, right? They don't like you. Don't worry about it. Those people don't focus on them because you know what? You cannot convince them. It's usually not worth it. It's not even worth. There's nothing you can say to bring those people into the fold. And even if you did say everything right, they'll find a way that you said it wrong. Yeah. No, you didn't use the right word or whatever it is. So it's better to let that go to the wayside. Yes, exactly. We now have these people that have said, no, don't worry about them. Okay. But now we we want to focus our efforts on the people that have said, you know what? I like this guy, Corey. I like this guy, Dan. I'm going to spend more time figuring out whether I want to get to the point of liking them enough to get to move to the trust phase. So what I want you to do on your piece of paper is draw an arrow from the word no, just draw an arrow down to the word like, because that's the path that most people take as they go from the knowing phase down to the likeness phase. Because if they don't like you, they're going to go, 
go off, right? Then you don't have to worry about them. They're going to go down to the like phase. They, okay, I kind of like what this guy is saying, right? Or this gal. And they want to follow you more. So that's usually when they're going to raise their hand and say, hey, I want to have some more information from you, whether it be an, a phone call or an email or a physical newsletter being sent to them or whatever that case may be. And then in order to move them from the likeness phase to the trust phase, you can go ahead and draw an arrow there now that most people will go from the likeness phase to the trust phase. Some people stay in that like phase for a long time. Sometimes they stay there for years. I know of people that have reached out to us that have said, you know, I've been following you for the last three years and I'm ready to jump in now, right? Those people just needed a little bit more time, needed a little bit more education. And maybe it was the fact that they just didn't have money over the last couple of years. Now they now they have some additional capital to invest, but you always want to make sure that you are cultivating that group, people that I like to call that are inside your fence, if you will. So if you have this group of people that have said, yes, I'm interested, now they're in your fence, you need to do some things to make sure that they stay inside that fence and they can continue to hear from you. One of the worst things you can do is get to know somebody. I meet Corey at an event and I put him on my email list and I maybe have a phone call with him, but then six months go by and I never hear from him. No follow-ups, no emails, no nothing, right? And then all of a sudden I get this offering that's available and it's like, who is this guy? I don't even remember who this guy is, right? You have to make sure that you are in front of your investors on a regular basis. And so monthly email updates, monthly email reporting, and then also the monthly physical newsletters that I like to do. And I think you guys do it quarterly, which is fine, whether you're doing quarterly or monthly. We do it monthly now. Oh, good, good. We're doing a monthly. That's great. It's definitely a lot more work. And I think Corey could attest to that. It's a lot more work. It's way worth it. Totally worth it. Once they've heard from you enough, they're going to hear from you over and over and over and over and over again. They're going to go, you know what? I'm ready to invest. So they're going to move over to this trust phase. And what's really cool when they move over to that trust phase, you know, they've moved over to that trust phase because guess what? They wire money to your property account, right? So that new offering that you're putting together, they're going to be able to wire money to that account. They're basically saying, I trust you now. Here's my money to show you how much trust that I have built up within you. I'll break it down to this. Like, this is really about having a good opt-in to gather, find your small mouse baths, right? Like whatever those people are, there's things that they're probably wanting to hear from you initially, which a lot of times is probably about you have a passive investor or vesting.com. Passiveinvesting.com. Passiveinvesting.com, which is a great website. That's the ultimate website, right? <laughs> but it just in the name of the website, you're like, okay, that's passive investors. And so I know that you give education on people that are looking to passively invest in real estate. And so those are lead magnets. You give away, give lots of information away. And then in return, you'll get someone's email or write to communicate with them. And that's the no part. And then from there, it's the whole part of you constantly communicating with them and adding value. I think what I took away when you were talking about on stage, it was continue to add value along the way. Just keep doing it. Add value, add value, add value. And that's how you really move people along the pendulum and you'll get there probably faster. Now, everybody goes at their own pace too, but eventually when you do it right, you're going to have more people than not say, dude, I'm ready. Just show me the deal. Yeah. That's really what you want to get to is that phase where they're like, most investors, the way they, what they'll do is they'll kind of go from that no phase to like, hear from you enough, they'll go to the trust phase. And to really validate the trust phase, they're going to usually ask you more questions as a newer investor in the very beginning. But then when it comes to subsequent offerings, most of the time they're not asking questions. They're just saying, okay, Corey's got another offering. I got another hundred grand. Here's my hundred grand. I'm going to sign the documents. I'm going to move on. Because there's a, such a level of trust that they're basically blindly giving you money and signing documents so that you can actually take that money and grow it for them. Yeah. What do you normally do an offering? What's your minimum? I usually range between 75 and 100 as far as the minimums is. Yeah, I agree. And most people that are new, what do they usually invest in? As far as new investors or new operators? 
Well, just new investors. A new investor comes on, how much are they going to initially give you? I would say most of our new ones are coming in at the minimum. So at right. 75, they're coming in at 75. It's 100, they're coming in at 100. Occasionally, we'll have somebody ask and say, hey, as a newer investor, can I come in at 50? And on a case-by-case scenario, we can make those decisions. But for the most part, the majority of people come in at the minimums. That's my point. So people will come in with whatever you said your minimum is. That's their entry point. Now, new people don't tend to go more than that. Now, occasionally they will. Mm-hmm. If you've built a really good no like and trust, you've had some really good community communication. But most of the time, what I find is that those new investors are just going to dip their foot in their foot in the pool and say, listen, I want to give that hundred grand. I want to see how it works or that 75 grand. And I will say that one of the things that has allowed us to build a race some additional capital is we started doing some kind of investor bonuses based on a larger investment amount. Because one of the things we did before we started this is we looked back and we said, how many of our investors have invested more than $250,000 in a project. And one of the most recent ones we did, it was like seven and three of them were ourselves, right? So technically right. there were four. And so we were like, what can we do to be able to tap to the same investor base that we're working with and then incentivize them to be able to put more money into each one of our offerings, if, especially if they're investors that are every time we have a deal to put money in every single one of our projects. We have about a 72 to 73% repeat investor rate. So that's those each offering put together, about 72% of those investors have already invested with us in the past. Yep. And so being able to to kind of incorporate something like that, I think was definitely very important there. Yeah. So in other words, the more you give a little bit better return or better bonuses or different share classes probably or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So what we did is we basically first started off with a $250,000 share class that they get a 20% bonus on the back end equity when we actually yep. sell the property. The very next deal that we did that with, we had 21 people at that point that had invested over 250000 or more, and that was not including us. So we went from a small kind of four people to 21 people, which again, accelerated the ability for us to raise capital as well. And we've continued to do that for the last probably year and a half. Yeah. I did that probably last year. We did three different share classes, 100, 300, and 500 Mm -hmm. is our metrics. And of course, the more you give, the more return we're going to give you. And that's worked out really well because it's really interesting to see how people, if the minimum is 300 and they have 200, they'll usually figure out a way to find that extra 100 to get the extra back end or whatever you're promising. It's amazing what people will do. Like, well, I didn't tell you about this money, but I think I'm going to bring, and a lot of times it takes another conversation sometimes because they just want to like, so how does that work again? Tell me more. Why do I want to do that? And then once you give them and they see it, they're like, yeah, I want to do that. They'll automatically bump themselves up and you didn't do any more effort except you positioned yourself to get the larger chunks. Well played. All right. So no like and trust. We just went around the pyramid in my mind, right? But it doesn't stop there, does it? No, it doesn't. So if you look at your pyramid right now, you should have an arrow that goes from no to like and from like to trust. And you're like, well, how do we complete this circle? And it actually goes back to what we were talking about earlier on is the referrals. Because if you can actually do a good job in performing for your investors and show that they're getting the things that you told them they were going to get, then guess what? They're going to start to refer their family, friends, and colleagues to you from an investment perspective. And now you can draw that arrow from trust back up to no. And you might be thinking, well, how does that person get to know you again? That's not what's happening. This investor is now saying, you know what? I know, like, and trust you so much and you perform so much for me that I'm now going to send you some of my friends and refer you people. And so you can actually write that arrow from trust up to the no, but then off to the side, write the word referrals. And then what's nice about referrals is that instead of you have and go through that whole cycle again, they actually skip the likeness 
phase, and they basically go immediately to the trust phase. And so you can draw an arrow from no rise straight to trust because referrals are so locked in and dialed in. And you have credibility and credence built up for the person that referred them that they're a lot easier investors to work with because a lot of times they don't want to call you. They don't want to have a conversation with you. They're just like, my friend over here referred you over. I know who they are. I trust them. Here's my money. Where do I sign? Always. And dude, that is a super highway. That is a super highway. Once you understand like getting on the fast track of doing all the work in the beginning to cultivate that, gosh dang it, that's gold, Dan. It's definitely been a very impactful thing that we've been able to do. And we have a whole kind of like five-step process that we teach at our capital raising intensive that we do usually about twice a year, limits to about 30 people. We kind of uncover kind of the, the our five steps for raising capital and how it overlays on top of the investor triad and kind of open up the layers of the onion, if you will, about how we've been able to do what we are doing right now inside of PassiveInvesting.com and being able to raise over half a billion dollars in just private equity from investors since 2018, which is just unheard of from a lot of these institutional groups as well for a group to be able to raise that kind of money for types of assets that we're putting together. Are you ready for retirement? The majority of Americans are not. Failing Social Security and dated financial planning practices put strains on many retirees' finances. 46% of Americans admit they are not taking steps to prepare for the likelihood they outlive their retirement savings. Luckily, it's not too late. Diversify your portfolio. At Kahuna Investments, we partner with passive investors to create award-winning communities families love to call home. To learn more about our company and our process, go to www.kahunainvestments.com and click the deal room. It was absolutely incredible. In a short period of time, doing it the right way, building all those pieces to it. It's phenomenal, Dan. I think of, I would consider you one of my mentors. <laughs> and that, that what I watch what you do, I mean, fairly well, but I'm like, gosh, dang, every time you think you're doing well, you look up, you're like, wow, that is impressive, right? In fact, I wrote down, I'm like, I'm going to your training. <laughs> That's what I just wrote down. I was like, whatever Dan's doing, I'm going to be a part of because I want to learn more. There's things that I don't know that I know Dan knows that he's probably already figured out. He's got some great people around him. And the one thing about Dan that I know is Dan has employees and partners. He has people that work for him. And when you really get into that mindset, he's already proven in his first intro is he was a chiropractor and he successfully transitioned himself to a CEO. Well, you don't do that. And not only just to the CEO, but four other clinics, right? That takes SOPs, standing operating procedures, systems, process, people. It has to flow right. There's a workflow process. And I think that's probably your genius zone. I could be wrong, but I think that's what you're really good at because you just brought me through a no like trust process. (laughs) And I know that one's yours. Yeah. It's interesting because whenever we do these raising capital events that we do, I never really wanted to do them. Then I had somebody convince me to do it. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. But every time I do them, I sit there and I go, why do these people want to listen to this? Because to me, it's like old hat because it's something we do day in and day out. And it's like, it's not that interesting. But then every time we do the event, we've sold it out. We only have 30 people, but we've sold it out. And everybody walks away just like just amazed about what they've been able to learn until they can incorporate it into their own business from coming to that event. And of course, I mean, I love that, but I still sometimes still have that challenge of like, what else should I teach them? Because what I do is just so like normal for me. It's hard to really like go, okay. It's very simple. A lot of times the concepts are simple, right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of times the concepts are simple, but it's the execution of it yeah. as well. That's and then putting it together in, in a way. And sometimes you can hear the same thing from 10 different people, but when you hear it from the right person, it all opens up, right? I mean, my wife tells me that time again, Corey, when you're saying you know, stuff, I hear nothing. But if I hear it from my friend, then it's 
the law, <laughs> right? <laughs> Usually you teach the so, friend to teach your wife whenever you need to tell her something. <laughs> yeah, like, hold on, come here real quick. <laughs> but it really is a neat journey in the whole process of raising capital. I want to give you the words to this. Sitting here thinking about, out of all the things that I've learned in business, right? My biggest thing that I've ever learned to do is raise capital right? What say you on that? Is that something, would you agree? Or what's your biggest skill set that you think that you have that has changed, radically changed your life? I would say the ability to effectively communicate. Bingo. I think one of the things that we struggle in our current educational system is being able to effectively teach our kids how to properly break down concepts and be able to easily teach that to other people. And one of the things that I really enjoy doing when I learn a new concept is being able to teach it. It's one thing to like listen to somebody, you know, about a topic and then for you to actually incorporate it yourself, but then also to go back and actually teach what you have just learned and what you have implemented really cements it and helps you kind of fine tune your communication skills. And so I think really being having the the ability to effectively communicate is a skill that all kids should learn. As adults, of course, we should know how to do that. But I think it's really being able to effectively communicate, especially being able to effectively communicate in a room full of people that have different experiences and different skill levels. I think one of the most difficult jobs in the world for communication is being a pastor because they have people that have come in that are from all walks of life and they might be a new Christian or an older Christian or somebody who's been a Christian for five or 10 years, but then they have to be able to present the scriptures in a way that is understandable to multiple different people. I think even in this space, being able to break down concepts for investors that might be in different levels of experience, you don't want to dumb it down so much that your more experienced investors kind of get bored with it, but you also don't want to talk so much on such a high level that your newer investors are like, I don't really understand what they're talking about here. This is like way over my head. That's a great one. Communication. Talking about that, I watched one of the things you did at that event that we were just at. You brought your son. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you just expand on what's going on with your son and why you brought him and chose him to bring him to dad's event. Yeah. So, you know, my wife actually comes from a long generational line of teachers, of actual school teachers, and like her her parents, her grandparents, yada, yada. And so when we got married, I told her, because she's a teacher herself, I was like, whenever we have decisions that have to do with, when it has to do with education with the kids, I want you to make that decision. And so one of the things that she really wants to wanted to do is one year out of all of our schooling, we homeschool our children. And so last year we homeschooled our 12-year-old daughter, who's 12 now, and then we uh, we're now, I have my 10 year old son who you met at the event and he was he's being homeschooled this year and she chose fifth grade because fifth grade is one of those years where they're not so old that they're not hanging out with mom and dad anymore because you're not cool anymore but you're also not trying to teach them some of the more complex things like reading writing and arithmetic so it's kind of that happy kind of age level and i think it also helps to deepen the relationship with your fifth grader so that when they do get older they don't think that mom and dad aren't cool right because you get to teach them some things at a good year in their life but we're homeschooling him this year primarily my wife is homeschooling them, homeschooling my son, but I get to have him come to the office uh, at least one day a week, sometimes two days a week. And then whenever I travel and go to different things, I get to have him jump on with me and go with me to different places. And so even this, just later on this week, on Friday, I'm flying down to Atlanta to do some due diligence on a property. So we're we're flying down there and he's going to hop on the plane with me and we're going to go down there and spend a few hours and then we're going to come back. He gets to see what we are doing. And then he also gets interested on the investing side. And so I told my children, 
told her, I was like, once you get to $1,000, then I'll allow you to invest in the assets that daddy's putting together. Now, they're not actually investing and signing the PPMs and stuff like that, but they're giving me their money. And I come up with a, a distribution schedule based on the distribution schedule that I'm receiving from the investors from the investment. And then they get that return every month. And so they get to see those fruits of their money working passively for them. And my daughter right now has three investments and my son has one. He actually has an investment in one of our express car wash funds that we put together because he liked the higher cash flows and the higher pop on the back end. And he also liked that they were all these locations were in Columbia, South Carolina, which is where we're located. And so he gets to drive by them every single day, right? He likes to tell his friends that he's invested in seven of those car washes because it was a portfolio that he invested in. And it was a portfolio of seven of those assets. And he's saying these words, guys. So he came up on the stage, right? And this is so cool. This is what I love. So I'm a big component of we've talked business at our kitchen table since my kids have been little right and try to actively put them in spots to see and that's exactly what you did dan your son got to come and a he got to hear you speak and there's just something about dad going up on stage and son they're seeing like wow dad's pretty good at this right and have the whole room captivated and writing stuff down and doing it was cool but then he got to get up there and he got to explain the whole thing about what he was investing in and i thought that was just absolute just money because it showed that the concept was not just lost right he's talking about real things about his car washes and he's paying a little bit of attention to me exposing your kids to bigger ideas and bigger concepts man and the world is tough and entrepreneurship's tough. But if you are already programming some ideas that I think will go, that will really manifest well. So, dude, I think that's just amazing. Appreciate that. I think definitely the kids these days need to have more of this kind of one-on-one with the parents. And I don't ever remember getting that stuff when I was growing up. And I remember my dad teaching me stuff about balancing a checkbook and stuff like that. But even today, my dad doesn't really have any investments. I mean, he's got his 401k with his work that he retired off of his pension or whatever, but he never really had a lot of education around investing. And so I never remember him saying anything about the stock market or real estate or, or wealth. Yeah. Or money. Yeah. Then we talked about money in my family. It's like, we didn't have any, or if we did, we <laughs> spent it, right? Yep. And so I will say, and this is not meant to be kind of say, well, wealthy people teach their kids differently than non-wealthy people. And I think only because, because I didn't grow up with any money. I grew up very poor, but I've learned though, for my next generation, for them to be able to keep wealth, I've got to educate them on money and why it matters, right? Yep. Because those are the conversations I had to go the long way and figure it out on myself and ultimately become successful. Same as you, Dan. But gosh, if I could have a head up on, leg up on everybody, if I would have understand those concepts early on as I was growing up. Yeah, agreed. Listen, I really appreciate you sharing your triangle, the triad, the investor triad. Really cool. A lot of fun learning that. Any books that you've been reading that really has stood out to you lately? There's actually a book that is written by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Cialdini. And it's one that I recommend a lot because it's one book that I read at least once a year. It's called Influence, The Art of Persuasion. And I actually have, I'm pretty excited about this coming year because in June, we have our MFIN con that we do once a year now live and in person in Charlotte. And I've got him booked and scheduled to come and speak at the event. I'm geeking out over that just to be able to rub shoulders with him. Somebody I've been been you know, somewhat mentoring or been looked to, I've been looking up to him for many, many years and now have Devil to have him come in and speak. It's great. But that book, 
book is definitely something. It's not even really a business book. I call it my all-time favorite business book, but it's really not a business book at all. It's a social psychology book about how people think and how they interact with people. It definitely helps from a communications perspective, but it also helps you when you're thinking about different ideas around marketing and communication to be able to effectively get your investors to respond the way you want them to respond. Yeah, that's amazing. So I don't have that book in my library, so it is going to go on my Amazon after this. So thank you for that. And then last word, if you were to talk and give anybody that's, I always say there's still kind of two groups that are usually on our podcast. There's the newer guys or the guys that are somewhat seasoned. What two pieces of advice would you give for, or what piece of advice would you give for each group? I actually think that I'm going to give you one piece of advice for both of them, uh, because I think it applies for both, because there are people that are not doing this that are new, of course, and there are people that have been in the space for a while that are still not doing this. But one of the things that I learned early on in my business career, not even in real estate, but just in the chiropractic clinics when I was first getting them started, is the simple thing of if you can't measure it, you cannot manage it. And so many times we try to manage things and we don't really know what the numbers look like, right? Somebody might come to you and say, hey, you want to do some more advertisement in this particular media. Well, you really can't make that decision unless you actually have some KPI set for that particular piece to see what was the effectiveness of that piece. Did I actually make a return off of it? And can I afford to continue to spend money on that on that particular piece? And so, and it's not just the marketing piece, it's all the KPIs that have to do with your entire business, including all the way down to the property level to make sure it's performing. But if you can't measure it, then it's very hard to manage it. Amen to that, brother. Well, listen, I want to thank you for your time on this podcast. Guys, if you're listening right now, the investor triad, I mean, think about that, monitor it, like put your mind to it and understand the process and figure out what you need to get better at. What KPIs do you need to have in your business right now that's going to grow you to the next level? Guys, it all starts, this whole process starts, I believe, in your head, right? It starts in your mind. And if you really focus on the things that you want, you can achieve it. At the end of the day, I believe it's always about this. If you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible.